Justin Smith, the shot, he scores! The shot, he scores! He scores! Keith Primo! There you go, They score! Ivan Komarov, his first NHL tally! The Flyers win the You're listening to Getting Bully, the podcast by Flyers fans for Flyers fans. With your host, Mark Giano. Now let's get started. And this is Getting Bullied, brought to you by PhillyIsFlyer.com and featured on the HockeyWriters.com. I'm your host, Mark Giano, and today I'm joined with Philly is Flyer writer Kevin Fortier. Kevin, how are you? Hey, Mark, I'm doing really well. Thanks for uh, letting me participate. Oh, it's no problem. I, lo- I love getting uh, I love getting good hockey minds on the uh, on the podcast here. So stop me if you've heard this before, but the Flyers um, have a new goalie in town in the name of Brian Elliott, and you can just add it's all the Flyers with goalies are kind of like the Cleveland Browns with quarterbacks. Um, every couple of years, it's it's somebody new, and you can just add. Elliot to the long list of uh, goalies that the Flyers have had since really Ron Hextall retired. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Elliot and the signing as, as a whole. Yeah, it seems like, you know, like you said, the Flyers since the dawn of time um, have had this carousel with uh, goaltenders. Um, now it's Elliot's turn. Um, you know, we saw the whole drama with Mason, you know, towards the end of the season and in the postseason um, press conference and his comments about, you know, you know, he he wanted to be named the number one goalie and, and not having that title impacted the way that he was able to perform on the ice, which I thought was a little weak. Um, yeah. So, so we got Elliot coming in, um, two years, uh, 2.75 mil. And if you look at it, his numbers are, I mean, actually he and Mason's numbers are scarily similar. Uh, they're, they're damn near identical. Yeah, um, they, they really are. They're yeah, almost like I mean, they're almost like the same player when you really if you it, really look at the numbers and break it down they're like the same guy. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, over the career, you know, Elliot's just slightly better um you know on on uh, the goals against and save percentage, you know, and if you go year by year, they're very similar. Um you know, and and Mason signed what, 2 years at 4.1 or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, two yeah, years, so four point one with Winnipeg. Yep. Um, so it'll be interesting. You know, I I liked Elliot when he was playing for St. Louis. He really struggled uh, the first half with Calgary, um, and you know he he did well down the stretch. Um, you know, so I, you know we'll see. I, I I certainly don't think we're gonna. You know, there's any reason to think we're gonna see a, a big drop off. See, the thing is, the biggest knock on Mason, I mean, this is my biggest knock on Mason especially, is he was so inconsistent. I mean, he was the guy, he was really headway in everything when they were on that 10-game winning streak. I mean, he was the guy they were rolling with. And that was that's pretty much that 10-game winning streak and then the subsequent 
a couple of games after that is how I could best describe Steve Mason's career as a whole. He gets really hot for a good stretch of time, but then he cools off pretty much an equal amount for a fairly equal stretch of time. And, I mean, he, he used, he, he's real good at getting hot at the end of the season. We saw that two years ago when they got to yep. the playoffs. And then they actually, when they started the playoffs and they were in the series against the Capitals, it was like he never played goalie at any level before. It looked like he looked lost. He looked overwhelmed. It was god-awful. It was. I think a lot of that had to do with um, Hackstall because down the stretch he rode him so hard that, you know, I I always, when I was looking at it, I saw a goalie that was just gassed, tired, and just he needed a, he needed a break that couldn't happen because they were in the middle of the playoffs. And you saw what happened. The game they finally put Neuwirth in, they won. And obviously, the following game, they lost and got eliminated. But I think it would have helped a lot if Neuwirth would have stepped in a couple of those games and and picked up some of the slack. Yeah, that seems to be Hackstall's thing. I mean, he'll go, he'll ride a, a goalie, you know, 9, 10, 11 games until they just completely collapse. And then he'll finally put the other guy in. And then he'll ride him until he completely collapses and go back to the first guy. Yeah, and and well, part of part of the thing with Mason too is, and we saw it uh, loud and clear this past season. If he thinks for one second that he's not the guy, if he feels any kind of heat on his heels, he kind of he, he he like he just shells up. You know, he becomes a different guy. He lets it get into his head too much. And you'll hear the media say that, you know, Philly is a hard place to play goalie in. But, I mean, if, you, if you're looking at a guy like Steve Mason, if he can't take the, the inner team competition, if he can't take a little bit of heat from his backup, then how much, how much is he really going to help the team? It's not about playing in Philly. It's not about the fans being any harder on him than any other city would. It's just about if you can't deal with that conflict, I don't even want to call it a conflict, if you can't deal with that competition from your backup, a guy that you should think that you're better than, and it shouldn't matter if he starts two games in a row. You should just be able to, when it's your time to go, you go. You go, You in your head, you're the number one all the time, and that was his, that was his biggest issue. He couldn't, he couldn't do that. He couldn't wrestle with those inner demons. Yeah, I mean, when you're a professional athlete and you're, you know, making $4 million a year, if you can't, like you said, if you can't handle a little bit of, you know, uh, competition for that, that starting role, then, I mean, I don't know what he's doing there. And there's, you know, this is a lot like the way I look at it. This is a lot like the move with Braden Shen. People felt about Braden Shen much like there's two schools of thought with Braden Shen. People either loved them or they hated them. And there's two schools yep. of thought with Steve Mason. Either you loved him or you hated him. I don't want to say I hated him so much, but I strongly disliked him because of his inconsistency. And I know you were a big Shen guy, so are you as big a- <laughs> I was just going to say, if you want to talk about Shen. <laughs> we could go for probably three hours on breeding Shen, and it'll be a lot of yelling. But I, I, so are, you that, are you that strong one-sided with Mason one way or another? No, but I mean, what really turned me off was his comments postseason. You know, it just it just really 
rubbed me the wrong way to see a professional athlete go out there and and look so weak. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, he played somewhere close to like 26 out of the last 30 games to end the prior season. You know, and then like you know, we were saying fell apart in the playoffs. I expected him to rebound the beginning of the year, and you know, and maybe it was the fact that you know, New Wave Earth was just godlike against the Capitals. You know that it it shook Mason up, and then neither one of them did well for the first you know a couple of months. You know, and like you said, I mean, yeah, he then he got hot that ten game win streak, and it, it was just up and down from there. And then those comments were just the final, you know, stake in the heart for me. But I mean, I certainly, you know, wasn't anti Mason until the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Look, I mean, there was so much. There, there were people that were still holding out hope uh, in the early part of the off season that he was going to come back. And to me, it was a foregone conclusion that he wasn't. The second that Michael Norworth inked his deal before the season even ended. That to me was that was it. That was that was the nail in Mason's coffin. I said he's just gonna he's gonna play out these these last few games with the Flyers and and that's it. And Hextall, you know, it could have just been you know him BSing everybody and just saying you know the door's not closed on Mason. But no, the door was closed the second that you signed Michael Norworth before the season ended, and not Steve Mason because he knows he. I mean, he could have done that because he probably thought or he might have had a hunch that Vegas was going to take Neuwirth in the expansion draft but even so if there's that there's always that possibility that they weren't going to and Hextall knew he couldn't bring back Steve Mason if Michael Neuwirth was going to be his backup because Mason can't handle it yeah I agree you know I I didn't buy the uh you know we're still holding you know the door open yeah I, I agree that I just didn't see him coming back no, I, and you're right. What what he said after the season, and you know, th- there was just there was just no way. But I mean, it, and n- I mean, now we have to kind of just look ahead, look forward to what we have in Brian Elliott. And right now, the biggest debate I see on Twitter about Brian Elliott is not about his play, but it's about his goalie pads. What color he's going to wear? <laughs> Yeah, uh, look, I've seen that going around as well. I mean, I'll, you know what I like? I like a guy with some flash, with some flair. You know, like when Ray Emery came out with the bright orange pads. And, you know, every every goalie now just wears, like, the white dominant pads with the splash of the team color. So, you know, if he comes out with an all-orange pad, I'd be cool with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't have a problem. You know, he'll never be as big a character as Brzezgalov was, but you know, like you said, a little flair never hurts. I, to me, I'm I'm uh I'm leaning towards the side of the all black pad, but I'll I'll leave that for him to decide. But I mean, I'm looking at his numbers right now for 2017, and I'm looking at Steve Mason's numbers, and we said a little bit ago they're basically the same, but I want to read them off here. Elliott in 49 games, 26, 18 and three record. 255 goals against and a .910 save percentage. Mason in 58 games, 26, 21, and 8, uh, 266 goals against and a .908 save percentage. You can't get any more identical a player if you clone the guy. Unless the <laughs> unless Hextall cloned Steve Mason, the closest he could get to Steve Mason was Brian Elliott. But the only difference is... Brian Elliott is okay with 
the goalie tandem, and he was willing to sign for almost $2 million less a year than Steve Mason was. Yep, exactly. You know, and even if you look at the career numbers, uh, Mason's save percentage is .911. Elliott's is .913. Yeah. You know, he's Elliott had the better uh, goals against at 2.42. Mason was 2.68. But, you know, like you said, I mean, he's, you don't get much closer than that. I'll tell you what this, to me, what this um, – what this signing of Brian Elliott means more than anything else and what it's telling of more than anything else about how Ron Hextall feels about his goalie situation. And he came out and said it emphatically that he was not comfortable with the goalie tandem of Neuwirth and Stolarz. And to me, that is a huge indictment on the young goalie in Stolarz because he got limited playing time last year, even when Neuwirth went down and he came up. And I don't know how much of that's Hextall or how much that's just Hextall not trusted the young kid. But to me, you have this young guy that's been in your system for a few years now. Um, and for 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 um, Hextall to not just say, you know what, we have two goalies on their contract. This is who we're going to roll with. And he goes out and signs a guy. To me, he doesn't think that. Anthony Stolarz is going to be much of anything for the Flyers. I, I, I don't know how you – that's how I read it. I don't know how other how else you could read into it other than that. Yeah, I mean, I, I put a lot of that blame for the limited time on Hackstall. Um, I mean, especially during that 10-game stretch, there was – I think it was right before Christmas maybe. Um, they had a, a, a game against the Capitals that Mason won – or maybe it was right. It was after the 10 game streak. And then the very next night they were playing New Jersey and Hackstall started Mason again, who was like, Oh, and 3000 against New Jersey. You know, <laughs> and it was a back to back situation in New Jersey was terrible. And, and Mason got shelled and he had to, to put Stolars in, in the first period. And a little bit later on this similar type of thing happened. I think it was, the St. Louis game, you know, Mason had played a handful of games and it, I'm not sure if this one was a back-to-back -back or not, but he could have started Stolarz and Mason got shelled again and he had to bring Stolarz in off the bench. It might not have been the St. Louis game, but it was right around that time frame, you know, and, it, and that really showed that, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I've got issues with Hackstall on a lot of issues. Um, uh, but, I don't think, you know, I, the, I would I have liked to have seen guy. him get more time. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I just, you, keep, you hear so much about patience and, you know, they have all this young talent. And if you're a guy like Stolarz, you have to think, well, am I ever going to get a shot with this team? Because now he has three other young goalies that are nipping on his heels. And <clears throat> he can't, when he does get a call up due to an injury, you know, the coach is, it's not, he's not doing him any favors because he's not giving him enough playing time to be able to prove himself. He had such a small sample size that, you know, Hextall, he's not, he's not gaining any knowledge on the player in the, at the NHL level if he's sitting on the bench. And, you know, I agree with you. Hextall has to, this year, he has to do such a better job with how he handles players, not just his goalies, but just his lines in general. And that's, that could, oh my God, I could go on for Ron, uh, Dave Haxall forever because I I have so many gripes with him. But yeah. I mean, you look at you look at the young prospects they have, 
Alex Lyon, Carter Hart, Felix Sandstrom. So yep. where I, I don't if you're Anthony Solars, where the hell do you fit into all this? I mean, if they send him back down and he's with the Phantoms again, which is obviously what's going to happen because now they have their two guys for their tandem. I mean, if is he going to be trade bait or is he just doomed to, you know, just just kind of stew in the NH or in the AHL till his contract's up and then hopefully another team gives him a shot? Yeah, and you know he was like you said. I mean, there was a lot of hype around him. I mean, you know, the, he the thinking was he was going to really you know push for for you know that starters job at some point. And and when he's the games that he played in that first call up, I mean, what his very first NHL game didn't he shut out Detroit one zip? Yeah, he had and, played well. And yeah, I mean, his he had like a point six seven goals against average. Um, or I mean. Um, yeah, goals against average, and his save percentage was like 9.4, 9.5. I mean, it was ludicrous in the four games that he actually saw time in. So he looked really strong, but for some reason, when he was in the AHL, he was average. Yeah, that's bizarre. It really is. I, I, I just I don't want um, I don't want this patient approach that they keep preaching and. It starts with Hextall, and I think Dave Hextall takes it to, like, this whole new level when it's time to, you know, he doesn't give certain players enough time and he rides other players too hard. I don't want this this patient approach to stunt the development of a player that could really help this team. Because I don't want to see Anthony Stolarz not ever get his chance with the Flyers, and he goes off. Whenever his contract's up, I don't know how much time he has left. I don't know how much he's making. But when he goes off somewhere else, I don't want to – I'm not saying he's going to become a star, but I don't want to see him become a solid goalie that, you know, a a team can really get behind and depend on. Yeah, no, I I agree. And and like you said, it's not just the the goalies, you know, like the the fourth line, you know, I mean – uh, Belmar has gone the last 164 games without being a healthy scratch, and Vandevelde was scratched in the last game of the season, and that was his first time in two years under Hackstall. You know, and you had guys like Lubomov who looked, you know, really solid. You know, younger, stronger. Um, you know, and and you know with Lawton, some of the you know some of the other younger players were you know just couldn't get on the ice. Nick Cousins was a you know a healthy scratch for a lot of games over the, the course of the season. It's like, look, you know, give the guys a shot. Let's see what they can do. If they can't perform, move them out, you know, but if you never let them on the ice because you have these, I'll be kind, you know, these older vets with limited ability. I mean, it just makes absolutely no sense, you know, and then you're, you know, you're scratching ghost, you're scratching connect me. It's like, mm-hmm. come on guy. Yeah. I mean, the, the three times that he stretched Ghost, I mean, the first time it happened, you were a little taken back by it, and then they brought him back, it didn't really work, and then he tried it a couple other times, and it's just like, alright, he's not getting the message, obviously, you did it a few times, and it never really clicked for him, he came on, he kind of got his form back, towards the end of the season, but it, I don't think it was any direct connection to anything Hackstall did with, with the, with scratching him. And it, I don't know, I, you know, I think, and I, I always think about whenever I watch Hackstall make some of these decisions, I always think about Chip Kelly when he was with the Eagles and 
how it always seemed like he was kind of stuck in this college mindset, like he was still dealing with college players. And he and I feel like Hacksaw is having a really hard time adjusting, and it's going on three years now, but I think he's having a harder time adjusting to the pro level and how to handle professionals than I think anybody thought he was going to be. Yeah, I I agree a hundred percent. And and Wheel was was another one. I mean, if yeah. if Connecty hadn't gotten injured, Wheel never would have been called up at all, Mm-mm. and he probably would have walked, right? Yeah. Because he would have, oh, yeah. you know, never been. What he played in it, maybe three or four games last year. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember exactly, but I mean, the guy's putting up seventy five, eighty points in in the AHL, and he can't even. And he looked good in camp last year. I thought he was going to make the team out of camp. Yeah. Wasn't he wasn't yeah. he leading the AHL in points or something when yeah when they, when they called him up? Yep, he was. I mean, it's almost like it's almost like a guy in baseball who's just you know he hits a home run every time he step every time he steps to the plate and he can't get a call up. And it's not like anybody was holding back Jordan Wheel from getting called up. It's not like there was a guy blocking him, a guy they just they couldn't de- they couldn't do without, and he was just a game of numbers. I mean, they have guys. They and they they had them then. They have them now. Um, that just were underperforming. And we, you know, we mentioned Dale Weiss a little bit. You think about Matt Reed. These are guys that you know, maybe because of their contract, are holding back a, a a pretty good young player in Jordan Wheel. And he couldn't like. You can't tell me that those guys were playing well enough to justify not bringing up Jordan Wheel earlier than they did. No. No, what was absolutely not. Yeah, because what there was, I for, I read an article somewhere that if he would have played a certain amount of more games for the year, then I don't he would have been restricted or something or other. Yeah, if he had played, I think it was sixty or sixty three games with the Flyers, he he would have been a restricted free agent as opposed to an unrestricted free right. agent. Yeah, I mean, that that's the, that's something you have to kind of know going into the season, and if you're not committed to making a strong push for the playoffs or the Stanley Cup, then that's a move you just have to make from day one. That's a guy that has to be on the roster from day one to see what he has, to, you know, to, to really cut his teeth at, 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 for, a, for a larger period of time and not just, uh, we're going to call him up for three games. Uh, we don't really like how he's doing. He's going to go back down to the Phantoms. It doesn't work. If, if you're telling me that I have to be patient if you're telling me not to expect much, then at least don't shove guys like Matt Reed and guys like Dale Weiss down my throat. At least let me watch a player grow and develop with a new, with a younger core around him. Yeah, because it's not like this was a fluke. I mean, two years ago, he led the, the AHL in points, was the league MVP or the playoff MVP and his team won the Calder cup. And then the year after that, he, I think was number two overall in scoring. And like you said, he was leading the AHL in scoring when he gets called up. So these, this just wasn't a fluke, you know, <laughs> that right. somehow he magically, you know, developed a scoring touch this year in the, in the, in the minors. I mean, there was obviously, I mean, I remember when they traded for him in the fleece of all uh, fleece of all fleeces that, uh, Hextall put on the Kings, and he talked. <laughs> he spoke so highly of him, and I'm thinking like, 
Uh, Ron Hextall knows what the hell he's talking about. He was with that organization. He knows Jordan Wheel well, and I couldn't for the life of me figure out why he wasn't up sooner. And I was just like, honestly, I would think about it a lot before I went to bed, before they signed him. And it may sound sick, but I would think about it a lot. Like, if they don't re-sign this guy, if he walks and he goes and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to say, you know, he's not going to be an MVP or anything like that, but he's going to be, I think he has a really good chance of being a solid, productive player who could put up consistent numbers every year and really produce for a team. And if he goes and does that anywhere else but here, I'm going to be sick about it. And I was thrilled beyond thrilled uh, when I found out that they signed him. Could not be more happy. Love Jordan Wheel. Probably my favorite flyer right now. So I am I am on I'm driving the Jordan Wheel bandwagon and I'm taking all comers who want to hop on. Well, especially, you know, given the fact that, you know, we lost our second best goal scorer, you know, so we were gonna have to somehow make up those points and wheel would obviously factor into that and in, you know, a fairly sizable manner. Um, and the other thing, you know, darn well, and which really burned me was it was completely inexplicable that Hextall ran out at the trade deadline to ex- extend Belmare yeah. and give him a hundred percent pay raise and sign him until he was going to be 34 years old. Why the heck did he have to sign him at the trade deadline? See, because he, if it wasn't for Vegas taking him. He would still be going into camp as a lock, an assistant captain, and he would never be scratched. See, here's the thing. Ron Hextall gets a lot of praise, and it's and a lot of it is justified. He has done a really good job to get this organization in a really good spot. Both finan- but I don't actually let me hold off on the financial term of it. But as far as the future you know, he's drafted well. He's done a lot of things right. But you got these Flyers fans that are looking at everything through orange-colored glasses, and they don't see that he's made a lot of bad decisions as well. I mean, Dale Weiss' contract should have never been signed. Nope. Dale Weiss should have been a one. He should have been on a one-year deal. He should not be here for multiple years. That's number one. You brought that up with um, the signing of Belmar. You know, he was a solid fourth-line player who, again, should not have been extended, doesn't deserve the contract he got, and Hexall got his ass saved by Vegas for, for them taking him. So I don't... I mean, I think as much as much good as he's done, he's done some things that are definitely questionable and definitely... You know, you kind of have to look at and, yeah, definitely give him the props he deserves. But at the same time, don't forget that he's made some some poor decisions that, you know, could could strap the team financially. And it, it would have if it wasn't for Vegas saving us and taking Belmar. And held back better, younger players at the same time. Right. Like now, like yeah, Dale mean, Weiss is on this team this year. He's on their contract, so that's blocking a younger guy, or that's money yep. that they could have used to sign a free agent of a better caliber. Yeah, I actually, I think it was over the weekend or maybe towards the end of last week, I got into a rather long battle 
about that very topic because somebody posted, you know, like you were saying, basically Hextall is God and he can do no wrong. And, you know, I brought up the Weiss contract, the Gordon contract, yeah. the, uh, you know, why have, you know, what, you know, we need to buy out Matt Reed this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of these things, you know, and the, the Belmar, uh, extension and I was savaged on Twitter. I mean, I was basically a hater, you know, I, I wasn't supporting the team. People yeah. were asking me like, so you don't think Ron Hextall's done a good job? Uh, no, I didn't say that. What I said was he's done a good job on this, this, and this. But, oh, by the way, he also has some questionable things that he's done over here. You know, why don't you guys see that? There's I, – I don't want to – I don't know what it is about the Flyers that they can't – to a lot of fans, and I'm going to say the majority, I want to say about 90% of Flyers fans don't see anything wrong with anything they ever do. And it's nope. it's – it's bad, and it's why the team has gone since 1975 without winning a Stanley Cup. Because for years they were re- they were the brass was selling and reselling and reselling the Broad Street bully image, and they needed the tough guys. They needed the bruisers, and even when the league changed, when everybody got faster, the Flyers were doing the same thing. They were going after the high price free agents. They were making the deadline deal to get the guy to get them over the hump, and it never worked. And the fans never hold them accountable for it. And it's the same thing with Ron Hextall. He comes in, he, and he, I, I don't want this to sound like I'm ripping him because I'm not, but he comes in and he makes a lot of good moves and a lot of people buy in because, A, it's Ron Hextall, and, B, it's not Paul Holmgren. So anything he would have done, people are going to buy into wholeheartedly because he knows what he's talking about, and people know that. And they just sweep under the rug the bad things he's done. I have the Dale Weiss contract in front of me. He signed for, including this year, three years at $2.35 million a year. You, really, yep. like, you, you expect me to believe that Dale Weiss, a... Uh, a fourth-line player on any hockey team in the NHL is worth a four-year... I don't think he, he should not even be making $2 million a year. That right there is a huge red flag that nobody ever wants to talk about. Well, and and he was signed after he was moved out of Montreal and basically didn't score for the rest of the year. Yeah. You know, and he, he picked up right where he left off. You know, and it's so funny because you know, towards the end of the season, he got put on the, the line with Shen and Couturier, and yeah, he you know put up some decent numbers in the last 15 games. And to a fan across the board, they all say, "Oh no, no, I, I expect Wheel's gonna you know he's gonna really break out this year." Really? <laughs> uh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and you mean Weiss, not Wheel? I get. Oh, Wheel. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Weiss. <laughs> no, that's all right. I, I know, but. And break out, like, and what do you mean break out? Like, people say that he's going to break out. I mean, it's not like he's a rook. It's not like he's in his first couple of years as a player. He's been around <laughs> the block now. So it, it, at some point, it just becomes that this guy is what he is. There's no breaking out for Dale Weiss. Dale Weiss no. just is what he is. I mean, he's never, he's never going to be, I mean, what do people, what's he going to break out to? 25 goals a year? No, that's never going to happen. Ever. I've seen people say he's going to get 20 this year. I don't. I, oh, my God. See, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> and this is the problem. 
Because people honestly believe that. There's people that are walking around and they're saying, oh, here's a hot take. Uh, Dale Weiss is going to get 20 goals this year. If Dale <laughs> Weiss gets 20 goals this year, I will eat. I will grill up and eat a Flyers jersey. That's how <laughs> That's how sure I am that he's not even going to touch 20 goals this year because he's going to be a fringe player to begin with. There's going to be a lot of games that he's going to be scratched for, and that's what people have to open their eyes and see. Just because he's a Ron Hextall signing doesn't mean he's the end-all, be-all. No. It, see, you got you went and got me all pissed off. <laughs> Dale Weiss has never scored 20 goals in a season in his career. I'm looking at it now. The most he's ever had was 14 goals in 2015-2016, the year before he joined the Flyers. And that constituted four years, nine million. Great. Yep. Awesome. And he's almost <laughs> 30 years old. But, yeah, he'll break out soon. I can't, I can't do it. <sighs> All right. So other news that broke out this week, and, of course – Flyers Twitter exploded. People got all up in arms. You know, it was the end of the world. The news that Nolan Patrick is um, recovering from a recent June 13th uh, hernia surgery. And, yeah, like, you know, people were freaking out saying that. And they're scorned by the Sixers who draft guys high and they don't play for a year. But. If you actually read the stories, if you actually hear the situation of how it all went down, there's really nothing to worry about with this whole situation. He was mixed. He was misdiagnosed when he played for Brandon last summer. They told him he was fine. He was playing with this injury all year, didn't know it, thought he was fine. And he comes to the Flyers for a, a pre-draft meeting. Their doctors look him over and say, like, oh, you have a sports hernia. You need surgery. And he decided to get the surgery done before the draft, and now he's a week out from being able to skate again. So are you at all concerned about Nolan Patrick's injury? No, I, I'm not. I mean, that was the the only thing that was of any concern, you know, leading up to the draft. I mean, because this kid has just phenomenal skills across the board. Um you know, and, it, and obviously, that you know, he has had a rash of injuries, but this was, you know, it was the other side. He'd had the first surgery. Like you said, this was misdiagnosed. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not really concerned about this. I don't think this is going to be a big deal. I mean, even last year when he was playing injured, he still averaged over a point per game. He played 33 games. He had 46 points. So, yep. I mean, and, and, Anybody that's had a hernia, I haven't, but I know people have had a hernia. I, I don't know what a sports hernia is from a regular hernia. I assume it's just what they call it when athlete gets it. But, I mean, if he's putting up those kind of numbers in a pretty damn good league in the WHL and he's still putting up over a point per game, then that should just go to show you that if this guy's healthy, the sky is the limit for this kid. I mean, they don't. They they said going into this draft that they weren't you weren't going to get that generational guy that Austin Matthews that Connor McDavid and that may be true when it all breaks down but I mean you got to look at a guy like Nolan Patrick he was the consensus number one pick for eleven out of the last twelve months you know the last month it all went downhill for him 
Nico Heischer jumped ahead of him, the Devils took him. But, and that's all because of this misdiagnosed injury that could have been avoided last summer, and he would have played as well as he had in years previous. So I don't know what... People, people just, I mean, I, it's probably just the scorn Phillies fan or Philly fan that has been down this road before. It's, it's the Eric Lindros syndrome. You get this guy that's supposed to be the end all be all, and he just can't get away from the injury bug. But what you got to remember is Nolan Patrick is 19 years old. His body isn't even fully developed yet. Yeah, and, and you know, to be, to put it out there, I mean, I. He was my number one guy. Um, you know, I wanted him over Heeshare. Uh, I think he's just going to be an incredible talent on the on ice, you know, for the Flyers. I mean, I was praying to the hockey gods, you know, that, that somehow something would happen, we, you know, where we'd, we'd end up, you know, getting mm-hmm. the number one pick and we'd be able to take him. And, you know, like you said, things kind of got shaken up there a little bit and, and New Jersey ended up taking Heeshear, so it, it worked out, and I just couldn't have been happier. I was real. I wanted them to take Heeshear from as soon as I saw they got the number two pick. The very first thing I did was I went online and I said, "All right, who are the who are the guys? Who's like the top couple guys in this draft?" And they said the whole time, and it was very true, it was a two player draft. And after that, you know, there was a drop off, but you know, it evened out a little bit, but. I was so sold that Nolan Patrick was going number one that I didn't even I didn't let it enter my head the prospect of the Flyers getting him because I just thought there's no way New Jersey doesn't take him and that's how it right. looked for a lot of the time and then it was like the last two weeks before the draft all the final mock drafts started coming out and you're looking and you're saying okay well this guy has the Devils taken Heischer and so does this guy so maybe this could be possible and then. I started doing a little bit more homework on Nolan Patrick, and I was like, okay, yeah, no, I, I do, I want this guy, I really do. And then the first episode of this podcast, the uh, Dan Silver, was he sold me a thousand percent on Nolan Patrick, and I got into it. And then, lo and behold, that's who we ended up getting. And I think he may not be a generational player in a sense of a, you know, he's not Crosby, he's not... You know, he he's not this guy that is going to turn a franchise around the way Crosby did, but he's, I mean, he's going to be in serious conversation every year for top 10 player in the league, especially when he, when he hits his stride, when he hits his prime, when his body fully develops. I mean, it, there's no telling where this kid's going to take us. Yeah, I mean, to me, it was just the the hockey gods putting everything in place so that he he would fall to us you know the everybody's starting to tilt towards he all the talk about you know his injury history it was like please please god let this happen i'll tell you what it was and this is how i read it um if you believe in karma and things like that this is 1000 percent the flyers getting payback for the 2007 draft oh yes right it has to be you're the worst team in the draft you get jumped over by the Blackhawks. They take Patrick Kane, win three Stanley Cups, and the Flyers end up with JVR, who's not even on the team anymore. So this, to me, is it, whether it's regular God or hockey God, it's the Flyers getting payback for getting scorn in the 2007 draft with those two players. 
Yeah, and 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 who does Patrick Kane beat to win their first Stanley Cup? Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> you believe that? Oh, that was that yeah. was the worst. That was yeah. the goal that only Patrick Kane saw go in. I think Chris yeah. Pronger's still looking for it. I think he still looks <laughs> at. The, I think he still looks at the tape every day to see if that puck went in. I think oh if, if he made a good enough case and said the puck never went in, and they said, "All right, we're play, we're replaying that game." I think Chris Pronger's suiting up for that game, concussion oh, yeah. or not. <laughs> he's suiting up for that game, and he's playing it. It may be his final one. It may be the one that kills him. But he's going out wearing that jersey, playing that game. He still well, has it. You saw if what he, he really. Good. I'm, I'm sorry. I was just saying, if you really want to cry, think about the fact that we were one pick away from having Patrick Kane and the guy who was stolen from us before we took Sean, or yeah, before we took Sean Couturier. You got to refresh my memory. Um, he plays for Winnipeg. Had eighty-six points this year, I think. Um, trying to think of any other hints I can come up with. Probably not going to be able to do it. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of Winnipeg's roster. He was at the Worlds. Played on the line with um. Oh, geez, the the kid from that the avalanche took first overall you probably just got to Cup. ring it off to me yeah mark Shifley? that's his first name too yes oh yeah we were one draft pick away from each getting both of those guys they would currently be on the flyers right now imagine that <sighs> i don't want to i know <laughs> i don't want to imagine that that hurts because i don't like sean Couturier it, either <laughs> See now that we'll agree on. <laughs> Good. We'll disagree on Shen, but that one we can agree on. Thank God. I, I he doesn't do anything for me, and that pisses me off even more to hear that. I forgot all about that. Yeah. <sighs> See, now I'm upset again. All you've done today is just upset <laughs> me about things. You got me riled well, up about Matt or Matt Weiss, Dale Weiss. I don't know. Look. So, yeah, even more so than the Flyers deserve this to happen. But yep. the pessimistic Philadelphia fan is going to say Nico Heischer is going to go on to be a 40-goal-a-season scorer and Nolan Pactor is going to be on the operating table for most of his <laughs> career. I don't think it's – I think we're finally coming out of that, that dungeon that we've been in as, as a fan base, especially the Flyers. One of these teams has to get it turned around and very soon before shit starts burning to the ground. I want to burn yep. stuff, but I want it to be in celebration of a of a championship. Yes. I my plan whether it's the Flyers, Eagles, Philly Sixers, whoever wins next before the deciding game, I'm going to go to a junkyard, I'm going to buy a car that barely runs, I'm going to park it on Broad Street, and during the celebration I'm going to flip it. And light it on fire. Nice. That's that's the plan. That's the plan with that. So, um, I want to get into a little bit your uh your article on phillyisflyer.com. You kind of 
I'll let you summarize a little bit. You kind of broke down the, um, as you see it right now, because Ron Hextall said they're all but over with with uh, free agency. So I want you kind of broke down a little bit where the roster stands and kind of how the uh, roster might look when they break training camp. Yeah. So looking at the, um, you know, just summarize real quick the the off season moves. You know, uh, we talked about Vegas taking uh, Belmar, getting Nolan Patrick. You know, re-signing Wheel. You know, so those were pretty big items. Getting uh, Elliot in net, and then of course, you know, trading Shen. You know, so these are the the impact moves. Um, you know, that affected the Flyers in the off season. So for the most part, the you know the top six you know, really hasn't changed. Um, I've got the lines shuffling up just a, a little bit, I think. Um, you know, uh, I've got Wheel with Drew and Voracek on that top line. So, you know, you've got a fair amount of speed and creativity, you know, um, in Wheel. Some, you know, same thing in in uh, Drew and his, you know, uh, playmaking skills. And hopefully, you know, Voracek, as well as Giroux, you know, they've, they've had some, you know, declining production, uh, especially Giroux. The last four years, his, his numbers have declined every year. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll get some, you know, they'll be able to find the back of the net a little more frequently. I think that's going to be a great line. Um, with Nolan Patrick, I'm assuming that he's going to make the Flyers roster, so... I bumped up Sean Couturier to the second line and moved Philpola over to the left wing, uh, where he's he's played a fair amount of time with uh, Simmons on the right. I you know I think that's going to be a solid line, a checking line, uh, as well as you know some creativity and playmaking with Simmons, you know, being able to to be the finisher on that line. And what I think is going to be really exciting, um, I've got Nolan Patrick centering Lindblom and Konechny. And I've got Konechny back on the right wing. I, I think, you know, Hextall or, or Hackstall had, you know, him play on the left all last season. And I think that, you know, definitely was a contributing factor to, you know, him not getting as much offense going as, as people had anticipated. You know, probably 90% of the time that he was, you know, in junior, he played on the right side. So coming in as a rookie and being forced to play on the left, I, I just think was a mistake. And and you saw when he was on that kids line at the Worlds, uh, when he was on the right side, he was much more dynamic, uh, you know, coming up the, the right side of the ice, either going in for the shot, passing off. Uh, several times he kind of swooped around the net to either dish it off or, or try to tuck it in. I mean, and, and obviously that line would just be a blast to watch. I think it would just be, you know, great. It may not... I don't know that Hackstall, you know, would would really do that. He'll probably break that up a little bit, but you know, I think it could be a lot of fun. And then on the fourth, uh, you know, with Vandevelde and and Belmar gone, I think you know we we have the opportunity to have a much better fourth line. Um, you know, the, I I just really thought that those guys were overrated. I mean, they were decent, you know, checking guys. I really didn't think they were even, you know, that great on the penalty kill. I mean, if you look at our penalty kill the last three years, we've basically, you know, been 20 or, or up. So, I'm, you know, in one 
what two years ago I think we were almost de- we were pretty much dead last most of the season. We ended up 27th, I believe it was. So I, I just don't think that we had a lot, you know, really going on the the PK with Raffle on the left wing. Um, the surprise was Laterra, you know, coming back on that Shen deal. So you know he'll be centering that that fourth line most likely. Um, although I'd, I'd prefer to see Lawton there. And then you'll probably have Weiss or, or Reed on on the right wing. Um, you know, they'll, they're all good two-way players. Um, they can all, you know, play on the, on the penalty kill. Um, you know, I, I think that's a pretty solid and balanced roster on the, on the forwards. And then Hextall has been pretty um, pretty open about you know there's, there's going to be two two kids are going to get the opportunity on on defense this year. Uh, the the expectations are that you know that's most likely going to be Morin and Hag coming up for or Hag coming up from the Phantoms. Um, Is it Hag? That's I believe it's Hag. Yes. I don't like that. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Hag. Um, yeah, so the, it, I mean, we're gonna have a really young blue line, you know, which which I'm kind of excited about, and and it's certainly gonna be, you know, considerably less expensive than we've traditionally seen. Um, I mean, we haven't had an or an organically built blue line, and you know, I don't even know how many years. Yeah. Um, in a while. Yeah, I think three years ago, uh, the season before. Um, we moved uh, Kimo Tiemann into Chicago. Our blue line cap hit was like 24 mil, if I remember correctly. It was right in that neighborhood, which wow. is just crazy. That's that's ridiculous. You wonder why? Yeah. You wonder why we haven't made the playoffs often in the last exactly. Years. Yep. So you know, Provrov in his second year, um, you know, I, I think. He'll he'll continue to to shine. Um, I've got uh, I think him and Gudis would be the top pair. Then I've got um, Sam Moran and uh, Ghost. You know Moran being the big stay-at-home defender gives Ghost that ability to yeah. you know kind of do his thing, uh, being a little bit more creative, take some chances up ice. You know, and then with uh, Haig and McDonald as the final pairing, and, and Manning um, as you know as that seventh defenseman, and uh, as we've discussed, Elliot and Waverth in net, and I, actually I'm not sure who's going to be number one versus number two. You know, probably Elliot, but mm-hmm. you know, probably. Well, here's my thing, and <clears throat> I mean of the whole. I mean, of the whole roster as it stands right now, the only thing that the only thing that I think is debatable at all is a well, there's a couple things. A what's going to happen with Nolan Patrick, and I think that comes completely down to how he does in training camp. Everyone expects him to make the roster opening night, but you know we'll see how that goes. But really, what it is and what all the competition is going to be focused around is that fourth line because. Yep. You, I mean, you have so many guys fighting for three forward spots on one line. And when you really think about it, it's two because Letera is kind of a lock. You brought him in. He's making 4.7 a year. 
He's on a one-way deal. He's not going anywhere. So then you have Lawton, Weiss, Reeb, Vecchioni all fighting for this for these two wing spots on that line. And that's what's that's what we're really going to have to watch closely uh during training camp and during the preseason games. I mean, you have I mean, you everyone's really getting really high on Scott Lawton because he really improved his game down with the Phantoms. But again, and I said it earlier, the contracts of Reed and the contract of Dale Weiss are really becoming a, a hindrance on this team and this roster, and it's blocking these younger guys that could come up and really grow with this young core, and they're not going to get that chance because you have these guys making too much money for a, a couple more years. I mean, they're both on their co- Weiss is on their contract this year and the next two years, and I think what's Reed this year and next year. So, no, I mean, Reed is just this year. Oh, it is just this year. Yeah, oh, thank God. Oh, I know. Thank God. Well, and and then you've also got Raffle competing. So right. yeah, between yeah. between those guys, Raffle, Latera, Reed, and Weiss—that's thirteen million dollars. Oh my God! Wow. Yeah, just to piss you off again, dude. What are you doing to me? <laughs> this is what you set out to do. This is what you came on here to do. Piss me off. You're going to throw all these numbers like at I me. Said, I mean, I know they're bad. I know they're bad. And then you come on and throw the actual numbers and facts at me. And it just cuts even deeper. The knife's <laughs> in my back and you're just twisting it around. And with, with this lineup right here, we're, we've only got about two and a half million of, of cap space. Um, so if we bought out Reed, that would save us about 2.3 million of his 3.6. So, you know, I mean, to me, it's it's almost a no-brainer. I mean, it really is. He just he really just needs to to go. Um, and and I, you know, we only get to see Vecchioni play twice last year, but I mean, my God, I loved his speed. Yeah, I had on my other podcast, um, my first episode, I had Adam Kimmelman on from NHL.com. And he had nothing but great things to say about Vecchioni. And this was before the season ended. This is like right after they signed him. And I mean, everyone seems to really like the guy. But again, it's he he's part of a, a, a numbers game that is heavily not in his favor. And it's because, I mean, like you just said, it's it, or like we've been saying, like we'll beat into the ground until something happens or the season starts and we have to live with it. He's getting blocked by two unproductive older players. And what makes me most angry about Matt Reed is I remember his rookie year and like early in his career, how good he was. I remember his rookie year. He was almost in the conversation for the Calder trophy. And it's just been like a slow methodic decline ever since. And I remember talking to a guy at work last summer about him, and I just how I kept telling him how down I am on him, and lo and behold, he comes out and he starts out real hot, and the guy comes up to me, he's like, "Oh, you were down on this guy, but look how good he's playing." I'm like, "Dude, give it time. Trust me on this." And I was right. He slowed down, and he never picked it back up, and that's what Matt Reed is. And there's a, you're right. There's no way around it. He has to get bought out. One way or another, Matt Reed cannot be on this team next year. But I think he, uh, 
I think if it was going to happen, it might have happened by now. Yeah, that's the problem. And we talked about it the other night, and I didn't know if you were serious or not, but the Kickstarter or the GoFundMe might have to happen. <laughs> that's right. I mean, the fans might have to join together here. Philly is flyer and getting bullied have to kind of lead this front to get Matt Reed bought out. I mean, if we if we as fans come to the uh, come to the table with two point three million dollars, they might have to do it. Agreed. I just I hate Matt Reed. Yeah, I mean it, it's really frustrating to see. You know, I would much rather have Lawton and Vecchioni there buy out Reed and you know just give Stash away Weiss, Weiss. You know, yeah. retain half his salary. They do whatever, just get him off there and give the kids a chance to play. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, the more I think about it, I don't think this is, I don't, I don't think this is a playoff team this year because they have so many young guys that they're gonna. I think the growing pains are going to really show through. It's, I think they're gonna fall behind early in the season while while everyone's you know getting their feet wet, you know, really trying to coming to their own as NHL players, especially on the blue line, how young they're going to be. I think the goaltending is going to be much like it was last year. It's going to be really good at times, but it's going to be really bad at times. And I don't think, I think in this year of growth where you're trying to bring all these young players and these different components together and build a core for the next 10 years, I think, and yeah, the veteran leadership may be enough to keep, for you, you can maybe use that as a reason to keep them around, but I mean Matt Reed is a low. He, it, it costs a low amount of money to buy him out, and you know Dale Weiss. If you want that to be your extra forward or one of your extra forwards, that just he's in the locker room, but on game day he's in the press box. Then that's fine, but the more playing time for these young guys, especially if you're telling me, and I don't mean you, I mean you know the flyers and you know they're they're uh they're blind loyalists if they're telling me that scott lawton has changed his game that much if he's improved that much then you can't you can't hurt his confidence by putting him back down with the phantoms or putting him on the flyers but then he's in and out of you know being a healthy scratch if you're gonna play him you gotta play him consistently and with vecchioni Look, I think he, I think we can both agree he's the odd man out as it stands right now. But if like again, if you're gonna put if he makes the roster, if he plays good enough to make the roster, you gotta play him consistently. You can't hurt these guys' growth by, you know, putting them in and out of the lineup because it's not it's not gonna bode well for them. If you if they're gonna be on the Flyers, play them. If they're gonna be on the, if if not, then just let them play with the Phantoms. Yeah, I mean and. and- I had like a three day battle going about the whole buying out Matt Reed issue. Um, you know, and, and I was again, pushing a thing about retaining some of Weiss's salary, you know, cause the other thing too is Raffle, Laterra, Reed and Weiss are all going to be gone within a year or two. Right. Right. So do you really want to waste that time where some, we've got some new guys coming up, but the, the guys that are primarily going to be in the bottom six or, or the fourth line, they're not going to have, they're not going to be getting the same experience. So you're going to, you're going to have the, you know, that 
like a tiered experience level. I mean, you want all these guys and the defense kids, you want them to, to grow and, and get up to speed together, you yeah. know, so that they, they are all kind of hitting their stride at the same time. Um, I mean, that's kind of my view. From what this is doing, when you really look at it, when you really think about it, it's buying everybody time. It's buying, you know, because then in two years when all those contracts are gone, when Laterra is gone, when Matt Reed's gone, and Matt or Dale Weiss will still be here in two years. He'll be in the <laughs> fin- he'll be in his final year. You know, then then you then we're gonna get fed the uh, the bullshit of like, oh well, now we could get everybody together and playing together, but. You're right. Let's not waste any more years. Let's not screw around anymore. You know, you it, it may hurt you. Finan- I mean, really, financially, you're done spending money this year anyway. So you may as well use what little cap room you have to help your team out for the better with a buyout of Matt Reed. And if look, trade Matt or Dale Weiss for anything. If you have to eat half of his salary, then you have to eat half his salary. That's just how it has to be to make room for these guys that are going to help your team. When this team makes the playoffs and when they're ready to contend for a Stanley Cup and make a deep run, Dale Weiss and Matt Reed are not going to be on the team. So you need to get these young kids that are going to be part of that team that are going to help you compete for that cup and eventually bring one home. You have to make room for these guys, and you can't exactly. let financials get in the way of the future, and that's what's happening right now. That's what Hextall's doing, and I know people out there don't want to hear when Ron Hextall is doing something wrong, but right now he's doing something wrong, and in a small way he's hurting the growth of this team. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at uh, next year. I think as of right now – we've got 56 mil um, towards next year's cap. Um, if we buy out Reed, it's good. I mean, the hit next year is 1.2 million. Are you kidding me? You know, and if we buy out Andrew McDonald next year, which everybody said they'd be okay with because it would saves two years on his buyout term, then Reed is free next year. So that's not an issue. And we've got, you know, uh, we've got to re-sign Morin and Hag next Hag next year, um, and uh, was, uh, so I, I think I had it where you, if you re-sign both those guys, you do the buyout, we'd still have like ten million dollars in cap space left over. Okay. So it, the excuse that we don't want to waste one point two mil of cap space, it, it's just it's ludicrous. Yeah, it is. I think next week I think it would make sense to kind of, and we'll we'll talk about it during the week. But at some point we have to have this uh, like an, an episode, a topic of evaluation of Ron Hextall and kind of the next two years of uh, of where where the Flyers stand, both financially and uh, with these younger prospects. But you know, like I said, that that's a topic for a whole other day. But I think that's a good place to. Uh, to wrap up this week, Kevin, I really appreciate you doing this. Why don't oh, you, this is uh, a blast, right? It's a good time. This is this is the most fun you can have with your clothes on, from what I've been told. <laughs> uh, it's up ahead. there. I will I will say that is definitely up there. <laughs> 
Why don't you go ahead and uh, tell the people where they could find you if they wanna if they wanna hear your your um I know that the the new word is hot take. If they want to hear your hot takes on the flyers, where do they find you? Uh, I am one of the writers, like you said, for uh, Philly is Flyer. Uh, I also do a weekly column for Sports Talk Live, and my Twitter handle is KS Fortier. All right. And uh, obviously, as for myself, you could hear us, uh, you could hear the show on SoundCloud, uh, download us on subscribe rate comment cannot stress that enough it helps us out a lot on itunes uh just search getting bullied you can find us uh featured the podcast is featured on thehockeywriters.com so we're we're at a lot of different places you can follow me on twitter at mark flagman that's with two n's and um yeah, so next week we're gonna get into I mean we're hitting the down we're hitting the downtime of the off season, free agency is pretty much done for the Flyers, but we'll come up with some uh, some interesting points to talk about next week. So until then, let's go Flyers. Rest in peace, Adam West.